Welcome everybody back to another installment of Behind the Shield, a monthly gathering of cybersecurity professionals and enthusiasts discussing industry's hot topics and current events. My name is Marco Estrella and I'll be today's host. Before we get started, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, we would like you to know that Behind the Shield is not a sales pitch. There is no sales brainwashing. It's not a brainwashing session. Uh, we don't have any uh, sales agenda attached to the event. We're just hoping to have a good, real, honest, open discussion in a relaxed environment in which you can ask questions to various cybersecurity specialists. We hope to present you with quality content so that we see you again in future installments of Behind the Shield. We also love hearing from you, so don't hesitate to send us feedback after the show. Just email us. And uh, if you have any suggestions for uh, topics in uh, the next episodes, feel free to, to submit. I also like to uh, mention that uh, you can find information on Behind the Shield on our brand new webpage, which you can find at www.virtualguardian.com slash event. That is brand new. Um, the agenda today is quite simple. We start with a 30-minute current event discussion. Um, and that is followed by a spotlight guest, which talks to us about a specific topic related to cybersecurity for about 15 minutes. And the last 15 minutes will be reserved for uh, questions from the audience. You can submit your questions through the question and answer uh, section of the Zoom interface. And I'll try to get to as many questions as I can throughout the event. Um, and you can also uh, feel free to adjust the viewing settings uh, in your Zoom uh, interface. Uh, you can click the speaker view to see who's talking, or you can also, also choose gallery view, which allows you to see uh, the entire uh, panel. Today's spotlight sponsor is none other than Checkpoint. And I feel like this company is so well known that I'm probably going to do it a disservice in trying to uh, give it an introduction. But in case you're, you're new to cybersecurity or maybe living under a raw for the past 30 years, Checkpoint is a provider of software and combined software and hardware products for IT security, including network, endpoint, cloud, mobile, and data security and security management as well. Our guest speaker is none other than Jane Arnett, Checkpoint's strategic advisor and cybersecurity evangelist. She's going to present a talk called Down the Rabbit Hole, a tour into the dark web. So that's going to be pretty amazing. Uh, she just gave it to a standing room only audience at the iTech conference a few weeks ago. Uh, so stick around for that. You won't want to miss it. But before we get to the spotlight, let's get to the hot topic segment uh, where we discuss with some professionals, some uh, current events affecting our industry on the global stage. Today's hot topic panelists are in the red corner, Christos Simotas, Virtual Guardian's Offensive Security Team Leader. In the blue corner, we have Patrick Naum, ESI's, uh, ESI Technologies Executive Vice President. And because with these two, you never know, uh, things can get out of hand pretty quick. I'm glad to have Navilogic's CEO and co-founder, Bill Strew. Uh, Bill has been in cybersecurity since 1998, working for companies like Wallace and Acuvat, today called Optiv, which he also co-founded. And last but not least, uh, adding a lot of quality and class to our panel today, our spotlight speaker, Jane Arnett, will be joining the panel to help me keep being civil. 
All right, enough talking. Let me turn this over to our panelists. And our first hot topic today, um, we've seen panel that there was a lot of cybersecurity activity in the past month. We saw that RSA took place, Lockbit uh, put a strong challenge on Mandiant. India's SpiceJet Airlines suffered a heavy ransomware attack. And Canada has been put on high alert uh, with regards to Russian web activity. But I wanted to start with a recent Wired magazine article. It was on June 12th, observing that Costa Rica has come under an important ransomware attack, allegedly from the Conti gang. Essential services are down. Uh, hospitals can't access patient data. Teachers are going unpaid and so on. And apparently, they're not the only country under attack. Bill, I'll start with you. Uh, you've looked a little bit into this article and to this situation. Can you tell us a little bit more about it, please? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to your point, it's not just Costa Rica, but Costa Rica was certainly the, uh, the spotlight for the Wired article. But um, at the United Nations General Assembly, Costa Rica, Peru, Mexico, Ecuador, Brazil, Argentina, and others all uh, came out in support of Ukraine over Russia. And as a result, uh, Latin America, almost as a whole, the folks that, uh, that came out supporting Ukraine had become under attack, as you mentioned, by Conti, um, Hive, as well as other ransomware. But looking at Costa Rica specifically, they have definitely uh, felt the pain more so than others. In fact, essentially the entire government's come under attack and declared attack with the, uh, with the from Conti anyway, the uh, desire to actually um, take over the country via cyber warfare. So it's been pretty uh, pretty tough going for Costa Rica over the last two months. As you mentioned, um, they've crippled the, uh, the Ministry of Finance. So import exports have been um, halted. Uh, they've hit the healthcare organizations, uh, which is the uh, Social Security Fund. So healthcare has been halted. Uh, to the point where people literally for a while didn't know where their kids were, if they were getting uh, treatment uh, and so on. Uh, so as a result of that, Costa Rica has had to declare essentially a national emergency um, based on the, uh, the attacks that they're seeing. That said, Spain, the United States, as well as other countries have helped out as much as they possibly can to provide additional support to the Latin American countries. Um, find, stop, and prevent uh, future exploits, but they're still ongoing today. Um, but most notable was in, in the Costa Rica. They're they're uh, they're feeling it hard. A little bit more about Conti, though. Conti's uh, a little bit interesting. They've been known for hitting other healthcare organizations for a long time with ransomware. Um, I think that. Um, Krebs covered this as well. Conti faced a bit of a problem because they, they for lack of a better word, they, they, they created their own problem by saying that, um, that they're behind Russia, uh, that they support Russia against uh, uh, Ukraine. <clears throat> and based on that, there are sanctions. So um, any ransomware paid out to Conti essentially could come under sanctions and was uh, a bit of a concern. So uh, Krebs on security actually showed how Conti rebranded and became Hive, which a lot of the, uh, the country leaders um, now moved over to Hive. And so um, talk about changing tactics and making sure that you can 
kind of stay in business is, uh, as an attacker is, is interesting. Um, and then it comes into the question of why are the Latin American countries under attack? And I think it's because uh, they've been basically a target of opportunity. I think first and foremost, I think they have some systems that are outdated, unsupported operating systems or unpatched systems. Uh, and then if you look at IEEE, uh, they also talk about the lack of coordinated defenses. They don't have cyber emergency response teams. Uh, C-certs or cyber incident response teams uh, are near uh, non-existent. There's a lack of understanding of doing business on the internet, uh, lack of social awareness. Um, and there's a, a disconnect between public private sectors as well. So you wrap this all together and you look at uh, what does it mean in today's geopolitical world of expressing support uh, for Ukraine over Russia in this example, and what the impacts could potentially be. It's, it's something that we haven't seen before on a large scale uh, attack from ransomware or other cyber criminals. Um, and then I'm hoping Jane can provide some additional insight into this as well, but uh, the, the tactics most commonly used in these attacks were uh, compromised credentials, um, cookie harvesting, and basically making all this information available on the dark web uh, to other friendlies for additional attacks. So that's kind of the story at a high level. There's a lot of details in that Wired article or Cribs on security, but um, that's as far, basics. as far as changing names goes. I mean, I think uh, uh, I think it was Revel or Revel Group, depending on how you say it went down for a little while and then came back and even kept their own name. But changing names, I guess, it doesn't really mean that the operation has stopped, right? That's correct. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, it seems that uh, ransomware is uh, still on everybody's lips. You, can, you just heard uh, Bill on that topic. Uh, um, what, can you, what, what can you add to this, uh, speaking well, to ransomware? Well, what comes to mind is, is, is this just a, a dry run for what awaits us? You know, are they act, attacking the weakest links uh, in order to prepare and, uh, and see how we react, but also those countries react and learn from that uh, to further their attacks in other countries? So, Jane, what, what are your thoughts on what are you seeing? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, I think, a really, really unique thing that has happened here um, with the government saying even, you know, the war, um, this guy saying that, you know, two people have taken down this entire country. One of the people claiming um, to have done this is named uh, Unk1756. And he said that he and his affiliate, of course, use Conti, which is a um, like a ransomware as a service provider to do all these attacks. And, and they came out with, you know, a $20 million ransom note, and then they reduced it and then they increased it. And at the end of the day, the payout, the cost is in the hundreds of billions of dollars. There were no backups um, in the beginning. Everything was just straight up down. Um, people not getting surgeries. I think the big thing in this is that the the individuals, the people inside the country are really being hit and hurt by this thing that's totally kind of out of their control. And it's a great horrible example of how those nation state attacks that mom and pop think are never really going to affect them is drastically affecting them. And, and this unk one, uh, one seven, five, six guy has, has, as you said, said, this is, this is the beginning. This is my demo version. I am, I'm here to, to roll this out everywhere. Wow. 
Yeah, I remember one of the statements being, we are determined to overthrow the government by means of cyber attack, and we have already shown you the strength and power. I mean, that pretty much says a lot about what they're, what they're capable of doing versus what they've shown what they're able to do. So, And they're calling for the people to go into the streets as well, which I think is a, another unique... Right, right. The yeah. article does mention that, uh, which is something uh, uncharacteristic of Conti, apparently, but that they're calling to overthrow the, the government. So yeah. now you're having some hacktivism in there and uh, yeah, it's going pretty far. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, very I just don't understand how, <clears throat> how was Conti urging the citizens of Costa Rica to pay their government, uh, to push the government to pay the ransom when they haven't even decided what they're asking for ransom? I think that just comes down to how do you create chaos from afar to your best possible capabilities? So yeah. you can't get imports, exports. You're, you're causing that industry, uh, said, I think, $38 million a day uh, as far as total costs. It's uh, cyber terrorism. It's terrorism. Cyber terrorism. Exactly right. It's like blowing b- bombs up and attacking uh, supply chains. It's the same, the same situation at different, at different levels. And, and once in a while, you see some... Uh, some of these guys go to jail, but not too often. So it's not a question of uh, sending an Interpol or whoever after these guys, wherever they're hiding out. It's more of a question of being prepared, right? Uh, am I correct in assuming yeah, you that? Can't, you can't arrest your way out of this. You can't but arrest no, your way no. out of this. It's prevention. No, no, any, anybody with a computer and some free time can easily take over the same place where these arrested people left off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think what you don't, if you're not constantly searching and looking for what you don't know as well, let's remember that they've found evidence that um, these guys were inside the environment as, as early as February, they have evidence and probably earlier, which means they were in there for months before they did anything. So how much more is it possible for them to do at this point? We don't even know. And if you don't have the controls, you can't figure out dwell time or really get back to root cause of what was the initial infection or, or how did they get in? What was the dwell time? How long did they wait? And not only that, what else is to come? You know, what, what other systems do they have under their control that they're just waiting on? So um, certainly a great cause for concern. Yeah, make, make sneaker, make sneaker, makes a sneaker net look attractive at this point. Well, I have and, a comment I have a comment here from Steve Stark uh, <laughs> listening in on the on the show today. Good opportunity for a mercenary. Uh, indeed, like uh, Crystal said, anybody with some skills and a computer can put it up for hire, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. OK, um, let's uh, unless there's any last comment on this particular topic, I'll, we'll move on to topic two. And any last words? We're good. Oh. All right. Uh, different kind of topic. Uh, mandatory breach notifications. Uh, there's a lot of things going on uh, with that uh, because, you know, uh, I think that the, the U.S. is starting to, um, uh, to become more stringent. Uh, the SEC has suggested back in uh, March yeah. um, to do mandatory breach notifications. Uh, so companies who have breaches and lose data will have to do so uh, to regulatory uh, groups. Uh, in, within four business days and banks within 36 hours. 
So I think that they got tired of seeing, you know, Colonial Pipeline, uh, JBS meeting, meat processing and Kaseya and, and all of that. And, and now it's like there's a trending topic for mandatory breach notifications. So um, what do you think, Patrick, I'll, I'll go to you. Uh, what do you think the impact will be on the average organization uh, in North America when faced with such a requirement? Are you enjoying Behind the Shield? Enjoy it more without commercials. Watch us live without interruption by registering for our virtual event each month. Visit virtualguardian.com slash event and check out what's planned for the next Behind the Shield. Remember, when you're behind the shield, you're ahead of the game. Well, firstly, it's not the average organization. It's targeted for publicly two publicly traded companies in the U.S. since it's an SEC initiative. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we just talked about state sponsored uh, or states being affected by cyber terrorism. Well, the same goes for intellectual property and disruption in individual businesses. And in order to disrupt the state, well, guess what? You could disrupt businesses that are important, like telecom uh, networks and providers and colonial, as you said, and transportation, energy and utilities as well. So the federal, uh, so the SEC uh, came up with, uh, with this. It's a suggested uh, rule. It's not in force yet. It's a proposed right. Uh, right. rule. Yeah, uh, proposed. A few of them. Actually, what's interesting, and, and uh, Jane probably read about this this week, pretty much uh, not at the same time because this was from March, but in this week, the federal government in Canada has always also issued proposed legislation under Bill C-26, which may come to effect in the fall. September. To do the thing for federally uh, reg uh, regulated industries, transportation, energy, utilities, finance, and uh, telecommunications with the same idea. But the SEC, pretty much, you know, what they've done is they they, they reacted to a lot of, you know, contextual, uh, you know, the evolution of the market. You know, we're all going digital. Pandemic has accelerated that. You know, crypto is becoming more like, we, we would argue to the opposite this week, but it's an asset for a lot of people. It's going to become regulated. So like the financial sector, it has to have a certain amount of protection. There's a lot of illicit transactions going on. So the, the SEC wanted to bring a little more order there because this threat landscape is increasing. Also, there's investor concern, you know, and, and they did some research and they said that most investors are concerned about cyber risk before ESG concerns. Now, I, I will argue that ESG with the G part, the governance part, the charter should be updated with cybersecurity considerations for the most part, and it's not always the case in our organizations today. The other thing they, they remarked is that disclosure is inconsistent across the inner, uh, industry. The way people disclose information is all different, and there's different laws in different states. Um, and then the, the last point you know, to explain what they're trying to do is that they believe that the potential benefits of delaying disclosure outweighs the investors need to get information, timely information on their, their investments. So it's kind of this battle between the enterprise and, and their value and what the investors should know. So, you know, they, they came up with different uh, rules in 2011, 2018. Actually, there weren't rules. They were interpretive statements to, to look at the current rules that the SEC had and see how cybersecurity was re related to, to those rules. And they realized, you know, four, four years later that they need a new set of rules. So the scope is broad. It's proposed to be all information systems, all data, regardless of the quantity, location, and duration in time. 
So that's one of the proposed areas of the, of the rules. The four-day breach notification, to me, is a big gray area because what they're saying is you need to notify, you would need to notify because it's not a law yet, four days after you, within four days after you determine that the breach was material. Are you going to determine right. and under what criteria is a breach material? Right? So that's a, a, an area that has to be clarified. And after that, it's a lot of things that a lot of companies do today, sharing policies, procedures, their risk management. You know, you see some in the forward-looking statements. The difference here is they want it on a regular basis, on quarterly reporting. Now, the question I have is what tools and what systems you need to put in place to do it on a regular basis in a publicly traded company. The other aspect they're looking at is boards. And I think there's a lot of work to do in boards and the right to do so. Do the boards look at cybersecurity and do they have oversight around you know, security, especially for businesses that depend on IT, you know, that their business processes, financial planning, investments, stakeholders depend on IT. And it's the case more and more today, even so after the pandemic. So they want the, the boards to start looking at that. You know, who's responsible for security? You know, what's the org chart? You know, what's the position of the CISO in there, right? So there, there's a little more oversight that's going to be asked there. There's actually one another gray area for me is that they're saying we also want to know, we, we want to know who on the board knows about cybersecurity. But at the same time, they say, well, we're not going to ask that person to have more responsibility than the other board members. And it's not because you know security, they're going to be on a hook more than other board members. Okay, well, why ask it in the first place? So there's, there's a lot of things that are nebulous. And to me, uh, the Form 8K, which is the form by which you're going to have to report, and to Bill's point earlier, they would want to know when the incident was discovered and is it going on? The brief description, as long as the description does not affect ongoing investigations, of course. What was stolen, altered, accessed, used, anything unauthorized? All, all within four days? No, that's uh, when you report on a regular basis. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. The, the four days is just the disclosure. But my okay. question to all these these questions is, I could, unfortunately, a lot of organizations don't have the tools and processes necessary to understand what happened. You really, you know the symptom, you, you know that you're affected by something, but there's a big, big gap between that and knowing what's going on, how long has it been happening, you know, what was stolen, what was altered, what was accessed, we're not even there yet in, in some of the organizations that invest the most in security. So there's a lot of things that have to be uh, clarified there and things that may be difficult to reach. You know, and a couple of recommendations and, you know, my conclusions to all this. At the end of the day, regardless of the legislation and rules and what this, these incidents in South America have shown, it is up to independent organizations to have proper cybersecurity hygiene and take control of their own destiny by treating security as a program. It's a continuous, it, it has to happen on a continuous basis. You have to match your risks with the type of business you're in, your dependence on IT. You have to be deliberate in your actions, you know, staffed accordingly and supported. Those are critical elements. But if you look back to these rules, the challenge will be also, how do you collect all the information you need to before making a decision on whether you disclose or not, right? Even that, just that is, is, is a whole, whole issue in itself, right? How, how the board members, executives, and based on what information will be, they be making a call based on this. 
So, you know, tabletop exercises are other options in this case that can help and a whole slew of different recommendations, but it comes down to basic security. I got uh, Nabil Benjadu, who's uh, listening on today. Thanks, Nabil, for listening. He says, awareness, awareness, and more awareness. I guess uh, that's common there uh, throughout the organization. Uh, try to heighten that awareness sense to, to try to, to mitigate as much as possible. If, if Patrick, He's thinking maybe up, up, up. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I was just thinking. You know, you mentioned one thing that that I completely agree with, which is what does material mean? Is it is it number of records? Is it the impact financially to the organization? Is it you know how do we want to get into the conversation of what's a material versus a non-material breach? Um, the other thought I had is that four-day reporting timeline. Uh, being involved in some uh, incident response uh, or teams, I should say, um, the organization often doesn't know. They, they might know they've been breached, but to figure out how many records have actually been compromised, uh, what's the size, the number of accounts, to try to get yeah. within a, a four-day timeline, most organizations are still working through defining what's happened and de determining how they're going to respond. And, and the idea of saying, all right, within four days after a breach has been identified, now we're going to respond and give a, a report. You're really going to disrupt the flow of making sure that you can respond appropriately rather than doing what others have done, which is constant drips of information. At first we thought it was this big. Oh, it's gotten a little bigger. Uh-oh, it's gotten really big. Um, if you want to avoid that scenario, that's going to have to actually be looked at as well. So it's still open for comments. I mean, it's out yeah. there and it's going to change forms by the time the fall hits. But if you look at what Canada and the U.S. are doing, it's going in that direction. Yeah, it's trending. It's trending towards that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Kind of like GDPR for cybersecurity, because right. one place that everyone interacts with is doing it. Everybody is going to be pulled along with it. Yeah. I can agree more on the, you know, what's material, what's not material in the four day turn turnaround. Um, I think prevention first and visibility becomes even more critical uh, moving forward. I do like I don't like the articulation of it, but I think I like where they're going with identifying a board member who has some cybersecurity knowledge. Uh, again, I don't necessarily like the articulation of it, but how many times a CIO goes into the board to explain why we need to do this? And it just isn't understood. And I think it's it's more and more important that there is someone on the board who at least can understand the importance of some of the the uh, the things that need to move forward. And I also think that it becomes really important that we're not doing surgery on ourselves, that we're not representing ourselves in a court of law. There are a lot of organizations out there, um, especially SMBs, et cetera, who don't know what to do and are trying to do cybersecurity on a budget. And, you know, XYZ platform says they have embedded security that I can just consume really easy and they say I'm covered. But, you know, we all know that's not the case. So um, I think humbling to get the budget to go and hire someone who can give you really actually excellent advice, just like you would do on anything else in your life from a professional that's this Absolutely. serious. So I sit, I sit on the uh, scientific advisory committee for Health Canada. And every year we have a, we have a get together where we go over what are our recommendations for ensuring that Health Canada, its products, its services, its clients, its customers, uh, its owners are staying 
a step ahead of whatever is considered to be hacker friendly. And I can tell you in the last four years that I've been sitting on the board that just having access to an advisory committee will allow for board members and CEOs and VPs to have an understanding of a group that has been cultured and nurtured to be giving this kind of advice to ensure your security. And, you know, it's interesting to think about the concept, for example, of something as an advisory committee for rent. I mean, if you really look at what we're doing here today, we're short just a little bit of this advisory committee because we're here, we're professionals, we're advising whoever's willing to come and sit and listen to what the new cybersecurity threats are on a monthly basis. And if you can understand that if most of the small and medium-sized businesses enter something similar into their monthly program, they'll also be getting advised by similar committees. And this could have a tremendous impact when you don't know what you're talking about and you need somebody to explain it to you and to your board members. Virtual Guardian SOC offers monitoring and detection of your company's activities on known malicious sites. No matter where the threats are hidden, no matter what they are, Virtual Guardian is here to protect you. Visit virtualguardian.com to learn more about our 24-7 dark web monitoring. Um, it is it is 2.30. We had a third top hot topic. Christos. Next time. Uh, for, forgive me, buddy. We're going to move. No, no, don't worry. We had a great, we had a really great good this time. So we're going we're gonna to shoot that for next time. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, there was also so, a really good comment from Nabil again. Awareness, awareness, awareness. This is where we just ended that. But getting the right SIM and XDR and SOC means buying time during an incident. Again, preparation, preparation, preparation. I'll add to your awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Okay. Well, great. Thank you uh, to the panelists today. Very interesting stuff. Again, uh, very hot topics. Let us switch gears now and uh, move to our spotlight speaker, Jane, uh, with your talk down the rabbit hole, a tour in the dark web. I can't wait. Please, Jane, the floor is yours. Thank you. Okay. Can you see my screen? And is it what I should be sharing? We see it. Yes. I see some vacation pictures. Vacation pictures? Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Those are like 10 years joking. old then. That's fine. I'm just joking. <laughs> Thank you all so much. This is this is good. That was great conversations. And I think some of this really ties in. Um, by fluke, the first time I gave this presentation was the day that uh, Costa Rica declared a state of emergency. Uh, so little pieces might, might pop up in here. Um, my space bar isn't working to move this thing. So let's, there we go. This is also uh, typically about a 45 minute hour long presentation that I give. So I'm really condensing it down. I'm not doing that by talking fast, although I do talk fast all the time. So um, if I'm talking too fast for you, or you're not following something. If you have a question, feel free to interrupt. Um, this is typically pretty uh, interactive, but I know we're a little bit more crunched on time. Pop questions into the chat. Okay. So um, the dark web, I'm not going to ask for show of hands, you know, who's on the dark web and, and trick you because, of course, no one who's on the dark web who's really into anonymity is going to be raising their hand in a group full of people. But I'll tell you that um, if you haven't been on and you're going to take some lessons from things I say today, two things to remember through this presentation. Number one, do not go exploring like a noob. Nefarious actors will hunt you. 
you will get drive-by exploits. You will stumble face forward into trouble. Please, please don't do that. I care about you. I know we've just met, but I care about you. Uh, the other thing that I want you to keep in mind is that 90% of cybersecurity incidents are caused by what? Human error, my friends, human error. So keep a little bit of hubris and that, um, that that's going to come back through the presentation. All right. We're not going to do too much on the background and the history, but quickly I'll tell you that back in 1967, I believe there was a secure computer to computer communication that was sent. It was, it was done over what was called ARPANET and the first essentially dark web was born. It was a non-indexed communication that was private. Uh, so this has kind of been around for a really, really long time. But back in uh, 1995, the U.S. Navy project, uh, U.S. Navy laboratory project started working on the Onion router. And this was intended to be something that could move communications in an encrypted and secret way and enable um, law enforcement to obfuscate their IP addresses and, and try to find criminals and that kind of thing. Well, only one problem. The platform was famous for being run and populated by, you know, law enforcement. So cybersecurity or <laughs> cyber criminals were not too keen on the platform. So eventually they said, okay, we'll release this. They sent it off to a couple of guys at MIT um, who made it a lot more uh, user-friendly, let's say, and released it two years later into the world as an open source, uh, self sort of self-funded project. There is a monetary aspect. Things are maintained by things like the, uh, the electronic frontier foundation, for example, we won't get into that piece. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of stuff I'm not going to talk about today because we just don't have time, but the most important thing to know about the dark web Okay. First of all, you've got the surface web. That's, you know, your wiki, your Yahoo, your Insta, all of those things that you Google on a daily basis. That's your surface web. Uh, now, what is much, much larger than the surface web is the deep web. The deep web is where your medical records are, uh, university research papers, le legal documents, all the kind of stuff that you just don't have automatic access to. You need some kind of password, some kind of handshake to get access to this stuff. And then you got what's called the dark web. Let me make this really, really simple for you guys. You know how the cloud is just other people's computers? The dark web is just an unindexed web. It's just the web without Google, essentially. Okay. That's all it is. Um, but because of that, there's a lot of stuff on it. There's nobody stopping anyone from starting a website. There's nobody, you know, censoring these web pages. Everything is on there. Now, if you go onto the dark web, obviously, if you Google the dark web, you'll get some Google hits like on the left about the dark web. You can't just Google the dark web. You have to actually have a, a Tor browser. Um, you know, I could give all kinds of recommendations about things that you should and should not do going so far as, you know, get a VM or buy um, a device from a guy who knows a guy who fell off the back of a truck for cash in an alley. Like you want nothing that's going to connect you ultimately as, as best you can, nothing that's going to connect you to your alias, um, depending what you're using it for. Um, now VPN, I want to talk a, a brief note on the differences between VPN and using, uh, something like the onion router. Okay. VPN can give you privacy. It gives you an encrypted communication via a trusted channel, but everyone knows, you know, who's talking to who this is not, uh, anonymous, uh, but it does give you definitely a better and quicker 
day-to-day internet experience, more flexible experience, things you can do with it like that. Whereas what Tor is going to do is to provide you with a degree of anonymity by um, sending your packets of information across multiple sites and re-encrypting them every time, which we'll look at in a second. It can also, you know, it's at the cost of your day-to-day operations. This is another theme that people who really want to do something, who really want to do something, will deal with a two-second delay or a two-minute delay, or you'll hear about some interesting things we'll put up with later um, because they really want to do it. They're motivated. Uh, you can also pair your access down the uh, the onion router here with um, a browser like Brave or DuckDuckGo. And what they're going to do is obfuscate your IP address from your DNS or your ISP provider, um, giving you that extra layer of anonymity. But again, you know, you're only as as perfect as you can be, as you can control not only yourself, but everything that you touch. Uh, for example, in 2021, the, the brave, uh, browser that, that people use the Tor plugin with, um, had a misconfiguration issue and they revealed, um, everyone's IP addresses to the DNS providers and ISP providers, which is the whole reason they were there, but you know, they're there, duck, duck, go, there's others, um, adds just one more layer. Okay. So as I said, what what Tor is really doing and how it's really um, um, keeping you secret uh, is by using all of these relay nodes. So you as a user, you come in on an entry node and at every hop, there's at least three hops. And at every hop, the data is re-encrypted and sent on. Each hop can see where it's coming from, where it's going to, can't read any of the messages at all. Um, which means that the entry node and the exit node should not be able to ever know who each one is, right? If I can only see as an entry node, if I can see the user in the relay, as a relay, I can see the entry and the exit. Exit, I can see the relay and the resource, but at no point in time can I see who the user is and what the resources that they're connecting to, right? Everything's being re-encrypted and resent. Okay. The beauty of this system is zero trust. Zero trust. And they were way ahead of it. Way ahead. Zero trust is essentially where, you know, encrypted communication began with ARPANET. Okay. Are there some interesting things that can happen here? What about an exit node? So anyone, anyone can set up an exit node. It does require some, you know, some hardware components, some certain things that it can run through in terms of throughput and that sort of thing. But any, anyone can set one up and anyone can monitor traffic that's on it. And interestingly, of course, law enforcement does exactly that. They watch, they'll watch an exit node, they'll have an entry node, and they've got about a one in a million chance by using these uh, really advanced analytics to correlate certain packets of data. It's absolutely fascinating. We do not have time to get into it right now, but this actually works and they actually take people down this way. Um, a surprising amount. These are real slides right here from, um, the DHCP presentation, uh, about tour and, and what they were doing. And this is very much about, you know, how can we monitor these nodes to find these bad actors? How can we disrupt service? How can we shape traffic flow? Um, very, very interesting stuff. Here's where we get really fun. Okay. Who is on this platform? 
Okay. We always think about, let me go back one more time. We think about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? You think about the drug dealers and the murders for hire and all that kind of stuff, but normal people use it. People who, um, you know, journalists who need to get information out in a protected way. Um, people who are trying to people in, in, you know, uh, governments that are very repressive, who are trying to access, uh, information that might be censored or, or reveal information, whistleblowers, um, Sites like the BBC exist on the dark web so that, you know, people can whistleblow and all those things. You've also got, you know, even in the cybersecurity industry, red teams using it to to attack uh, or to to test their systems. You know, there's all kinds of people who are on it. Of course. There are all the drugs. The first thing that started on uh, on tour was, you know, they, they sold pot in UCLA in the 70s. Um, but quickly there was the Silk Road. I think everybody knows about with, with the Dread Pirate Roberts and it's a big bus. Everybody heard because it's the first when it went down, um, Alpha Bay popped up in its vacuum. It was 10 times the size, uh, in 90 days, 10 times the size of Silk Road in 90 days. And in 90 days, it was taken down. Guy got busted. Um, his name was Alexander Kazes. He's 25. He's Canadian. And he got busted after leaking his personal email address in the metadata of a welcome message to new users on the forum. That's it. Since then, the CTO has returned to launch Alphabet 2.0. I find this fascinating. He said, and I know we're probably getting close on time. So raise, raise your hand if I'm like getting super close. No, you are good. Uh, you're still good. I'll give you a two minute warning. So keep going. Okay, perfect. Okay, this guy, the CTO, his name is DeSnake. This might be my favorite dark web story these days. He said, in, he did this Wired interview a little while ago. Um, and he, you know, they, they proved that it was him. They, they don't know who he is, but they proved it was him. He said, I had given Kazes many holy grails of anonymity, but he chose to only use certain things while he branded other methods and ways as overkill. In this game, there is no overkill. You get used to the inconvenience. So this guy is, is famous. He, he says that he runs his entire network on an amniotic uh, operating system. He has a kill switch, essentially a USB kill switch um, designed to wipe everything. If he goes to the bathroom in his own home, he shut, he logs out and shuts down everything because remember his partner there. Did I mention that when they came in to bust him, he was open and logged in as the administrator. Like he's not getting away from this. Um, I mean, he later died in jail. That's a whole nother thing. But he says to avoid, uh, um, yeah, he shuts it down entirely. I would say that this is the biggest inconvenience. You make sacrifices, but you get used to it and it becomes second nature. So as he's come back and relaunched this new site, immediately he gets all of the old people because he's got the reputation. Um, it's very user-friendly. You can see here, right? You know, by now, very easy. Um, there's, there's customer reviews and all that kind of things. But he has made this platform. Not only does it have like this sort of auto shop and auto dispatch listings and featured listings, sticky listings, scam watch, that kind of stuff. It also protects... Well, first of all, he only accepts Monero, um, which basically doesn't keep a ledger. It's not quite like Bitcoin. Um, but apart, apart from that, he also has what he calls 
uh, alpha guard, which protects the wallets and the buyers. So if there's any open transactions or um, transactions in escrows and they get busted, it will allow them to automatically complete and finish anything. So nothing gets seized by the police mid-transaction. There's also an automatic dispute resolver. There's um, distrust system, auto buyings by default. Like there's all this kind of stuff. He did say that he had prohibited just in 2021, uh, toward the end of 2021, newly prohibited uh, items include uh, COVID vaccines, firearms, fentanyl, pornography, hitman services, uh, bans on discussing information about governments, organizations with people of Russia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, or Armenia. Um, so who knows? Who knows? But he's really locking it down. His next project is actually kind of to launch a new almost like Torp 2.0. It's going to be really interesting to, to watch what he does. Did you know that Navalogic became a virtual guardian company in 2022? Based in St. Paul, Minnesota, Navalogic's dedicated team of experienced, certified professionals provide deep knowledge and expertise in cybersecurity and risk management to organizations looking to gain confidence and demonstrate resilience in their cybersecurity auditing and compliance processes. Learn more at Navalogic.com. Just before you skip to the next subject, for those of you that don't know, the, the founder behind this is from Trois-Rivières in Quebec, the, the owner of the Alpha Bay. Not right. just Canadian, Quebecian. Well, yeah, he's, he's, he's from Trois-Rivières. Yeah, he's, he's uh, the, the original Alpha Bay owner <clears throat> was uh, Alexander Casas from Trois-Rivières. Yeah. You would know Christos, right? You would know. Oh, yeah, I would. He, he, he's been to I should watch what I say to you. He's been, he's been to a barbecue at his house. So come. <laughs> Quite <not. laughs> Okay. Um, so besides Kazis, who's, who's now gone, and the snake, what else is on there? Um, everything else. So all the normal sites, you know, they've got their version uh, that you saw there. You can buy gift cards online. Some are scams, some aren't, whatever you want. Uh, you can apparently buy guns. Um, I had a video, we're not going to see it, but in, in Israel where they actually ordered one of these and got it and unboxed it, um, you can get a check ID card for 500 euros or Hey, a USA, a USA citizenship. You can pay the first 20% of for a thousand bucks. Um, great. You can get, uh, do you guys remember these? These was, this is all over YouTube a couple years ago. The mystery boxes, terrifying. <laughs> if you would like to have a few nightmares, go ahead and Google that. Oh, God. Oldie but a goodie. Hey, Christos. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. There's some feet that showed up at a few people's houses. Oh, there's, uh... Okay, we've got, uh, what else? The, oh, yes, customer reviews. So we talked about this and how... Um, the snake was able to pop up and just say, no, no, I'm me and I'm launching this. Right. And, and they were able to confirm who they were. Well, imagine in a world where the, all of the customer reviews on um, Amazon are actually real. There's no bot reviews. That's what this does. These are all real reviews. Fantastic. No hustle, no hustle. Someone was very disappointed. Um, these. Uh, yeah, I like this one. Product review. It was great. 10 out of 10. You could have shipped it a little faster. Maybe talked a little nicer. It's a good one. Terrorist groups. You can find lots of terrorist groups, all kinds of terrorist groups. Um, and 
hacking as a service, right? Hacking as a service. So this would be like Conti. Conti is hacking as a service. So what I could do is, is come to them and say, hey, I want to do this hack. I want to do this thing. I want to take down this nation state. And they're going to charge me 20, 30%, whatever, um, as a fee, just off the top for the use of my platform to do all of it. And you can hire guys who will help you do it as well. So you end up with like in, in the Costa Rica thing, you have two guys who just, as, as he actually said in, in one of the things I wrote, two guys who destroyed Costa Rica, um, they were using an access broker. Um, it was, you know, that, that the chatter was online. It was found ahead of time. Um, and that's, that's how they're deploying it. You don't even have to have the skills really anymore. Um, but again, Mm, I'm going to suggest that it might not be the best way to go. Number one, who are, who are some of these people? So this guy, remember I said human error? This is the guy who was the founder of the number one child exploitation site on the dark web. He was caught, his name is Marquise. He was caught using Firefox with a Tor browser and he was fished. That's it. Law enforcement um, in, enticed him to click on something, go to a different webpage. They got all his information. Off he goes, toodaloo. So guys, it's not just us. It's not just the good guys that get fished. It is true. Everyone fishing comes for everyone. Um, I know some of this might be sounding like a really good idea to go out there and become a coronal mastermind at this point. I've made it sound pretty easy. Um, I've made it sound pretty simple to get away with it. Mm, no, it's not. Um, and it's also not really a lot of fun. It is not really just one dude sitting in his hoodie in the basement if you're thinking that this is my way out of my daily grind nine to five, you know, get out of this little office thing, I'm, I'm going to be free. Sorry, guys. These are large organizations with actual structure. Um, they're, let, let's look at an example. Right past this. I'm going to give you your, your two, two minutes. Warning, uh, Jen. Yes. All right. For example, these are the three guys who were involved in the Zeus banking Trojan. So what that was, they launched DDoS attacks on bank platforms, right? And then during this time, they saw that the time um, to approve transactions, it was easier to get transactions approved. So, so this is what they did. It wasn't just these three guys. In order to do this, in order to execute it, they needed client side, server guys, research guys, R&D, DevOps, um, financial operations for the, the, the deposits and actually to handle and move the money. What we're talking about it's just another corporation. Yep. So I encourage you instead of, you know, maybe getting three months, 90 days of making lots of money and being really famous and then, you know, getting killed in prison in Thailand. Um, maybe don't maybe put on that white hat, join the side that is, you know, needs more good people pays really well. And you get a really good feeling at the end of the day. If you do go on safe travels, you know, do all these things. Don't uh, full screen your browser because they'll scrape information. There's all kinds of stuff. And most importantly, know why you're there. Stay on track. And uh, if you've never been there before, take a tour guide. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thank Jane. you very much, Jane. Wow. That was great. Excellent stuff. Amazing. Uh, amazing. Amazing. I Thanks mean, for sharing that. The dark web is just, uh, wow. For me, anyway, it's like a nightmare place. I don't want to go there. I don't, I'm not interested in going there. 
but uh, thanks for the insight, the little peek in what's in what's in the nightmare, basically. A um, couple of questions that came in. Here's one. Um, how concerned should organizations be about finding their name or information on the dark web? Oh, good question. Um, this is a really easy thing to monitor. There are services, you know, Checkpoint offers them, others offer them um, that you can just find. There are actually deep fakes right now online is, is also right. another big thing that we should be monitoring for as well. Um, <laughs> I would be, I'd be monitoring. Yeah. Yeah. If a politician deep fake uh, sends out a message to the nation, that could be something really scary right there. Exactly. Um, and what about the uh, recent crash of cryptocurrency? Uh, I mean, uh, mm. is that affecting the ransomware at all or what's going on? Are the, uh, are Bitcoin still the, the go-to currency for ransom payment? Uh, I think they're just going to adjust for the price of inflation. And unless you think that ransomware isn't going anywhere, I don't think cryptocurrency is going anywhere. I think, you know, the cryptocurrencies like Monero that don't keep a ledger. So you can't just like with Bitcoin, you transfer wallet to wallet to wallet. They just follow you. Unless you've used something like um like a Bitcoin mixer where, where someone's taking little pieces of Bitcoin from like a hundred different people and then using that to kind of do the micro, crime. Or, micro distribution services. Yeah. That you can get across a hundred thousand wallets. Yep. Or um, like they used to do back in the day. I don't know if they still do. Yeah. Bitcoin Tumblr or going when they actually used to like meet in a dark alley somewhere and pay cash for a USB that would not in any way be attached to your name. Um, but right. you know, or Monero, you know, or dark wallet is a new one. There's all kinds of new ones coming out all the time. But yeah. I think you'll stick. Okay. Wow. Uh, that was great. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we're coming up on the hour. I'm just going to ask if the, if anybody listening in uh, the show has any last questions for any of the panelists, uh, feel free to put it in the chat right now. Why don't we do a poll on the people that thought they were going to be operating in a dark web before the call, if they're going to still do it after the call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Jennifer says, not me. <laughs> okay, so I, I don't see any questions coming in. That's fine. Jane, There's only... Jane, just yes. a quick question. So the, the gift cards you can find on the dark web are actually other people's gift cards, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, the last thing that I should absolutely say is that no matter how safe the dark, like no matter how much you're obfuscated on the dark web, it means nothing if you haven't secured the devices you're using to access the dark web. If you are already the victim of a man in the middle attack, it doesn't matter how many times you um, you uh, encrypt the and re-encrypt the message, they've already read it. Okay. So the saying, the saying used to be you never connect your throwaway laptop to your home network. You always you you boot it up at McDonald's. You install Windows at McDonald's. You connect to the VP. Just you never bring it home. You leave it there. That's how you do your red team uh, in your net in mandates. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just about everything. I mean, the the the, the smaller your hole is, the smaller you have to worry about, right? So especially if it's a very busy McDonald's, <laughs> you you don't care. And then make sure you watch how you type too, because that's kind of your finger. Well, this is this is it, right? I've seen people buy throwaway laptops with a credit card. That doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. You know? Well, they they found me. Yeah, they found you. You used your mom's Amex. 
to order like a laptop from Amazon. So yeah, they found you. So basically all the donations of, of used laptops we've, we've given over the years, thinking they're going to schools and whatnot and recycled are, are ended up are pretty much in the, they're for sale. They're for sale in a warehouse in Primacy. Actually knows the guy that buys the bulk of all the, all those sales, all the bankruptcies, all the, uh, all the bulk stuff. The the warehouse is like twenty five thousand square feet stacked to the ceiling of stuff. Everything you can imagine. There's even dialysis machines, MRI machines, everything. So everything in there for sale. Benjamin says uh, everything goes down at McDonald's. Thanks, Benjamin. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, well we're coming. We're, we're coming down on the hour, folks. Uh, before we go, I just um, I wanted to let you know that behind the shield will be on a one month summer break, so there will not be a July uh, behind the shield, but we will be back in August with a brand new show and other leaders from the cybersecurity industry. So if you enjoyed what you heard today. Uh, be sure to tune back in in August when uh, BTS returns. Before we sign off, I want to thank today's uh, Behind the Shield sponsors, Checkpoint, and our guests, uh, Jane Arnett, Crystal Simotas, Patrick Naum, and Bill Stroop for all their insights and their participation in the panel. Uh, I hope you found the last 60 minutes entertain, entertaining, informative, pertinent, and I look forward to seeing you next time Behind the Shield. Take care, everybody. Have a nice summer.